0: Welcome to the L.A. Soccer Hub Show. My name is Gio Garcia. Today is November 19th, Thursday. Um, Today we're talking LAFC. There's a lot of LAFC news uh, breaking as I just started recording here. Um, Obviously, the only team in L.A. going to the playoffs. Uh, It's been a crazy year. It continues to get even crazier uh, towards towards the end here. You know, even talking about MLS playoffs and everything going on. But to help us talk all things LAFC... We got Dave Denholm. Dave, how you doing? How you doing,
1: Gio? Good to talk to you, buddy.
0: Yeah, Dave. Like I said, it's crazy, man. It seemed like LASC got a lifeline thrown at them, and then just the curveball of 2020 uh, continues to to happen here.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. The curveball is a good way to put it. You know, but everybody's going through it, certainly. And I think, more importantly, the world is going through this. So we know that sports are very important in the United States, but they're really not that important in 2020, if I can be honest. You know, I think obviously we want to use it as an escape geo, but there are bigger issues certainly. And we all have to like kind of live within those parameters. And I think for the most part, one thing that's been interesting to me about the sports world is how accommodating fans really are. You know, most of the time fans, let's be honest, I want my way and I want it now, you know, kind of thing. And that's not the case in 2020, I think, you know, I think we all know deep down that these leagues, you know, maybe making mistakes, many of them, you know, but they're trying their best, you know, they're just, they have to continue to try to, to put a product out there. They are certainly businesses and, and, you know, within the restrictions of certain States and counties and local governments, it's not easy and uh, you know i think by and large it's a good way to put it it is it's just an absolute roller coaster and you just don't know we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow quite frankly
0: yeah no i mean so so many different crazy crazy things you know and, and like you, you mentioned about the sports I, I guess for all of us you know just to speak for myself it's kind of been an escape from all these different things yes. you know, appreciative for all you know other players and you know the staff and even in the leagues uh, to be able to put this on. And like I said, give us an escape and, you know, give us something to to look at, yell at, compete, you know, analyze, you know, what you, <laughs> you and I do. So you kind of just get our mind off things, but we're still reminded with all these curve balls um, being thrown in. But before we get too much into like uh, the playoffs and everything, um, I just, I, I just, I just want to know your thoughts on obviously how this year has gone for, 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 for the MLS and, you know what, what do you think moving forward um you know for 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 next year you know how how you mentioned about just different things are going on you know different different um rules and everything de- depending on the cities and you know how do you see you know the future for for these teams if we are still in a pandemic or not yeah it's a good question uh really it's
1: the question to ask i
0: don't think i don't
1: think i'm going to feel I'm just talking about myself. I don't think it's going to feel like a normal year, even next year. I think if that makes sense, I mean, no, certainly, hopefully, you know, we're getting great news about vaccines possibly and things like that. And maybe we'll be back where fans are back in the stadium. That might change my opinion of it. You know, once you really get like full stadiums and you're kicking a soccer ball in anger against another team in front of 21,000, it's, at the bank or 27,000 for the galaxy down at the, you know, I think that might change my mind, but I, I don't know. And again, I have no insight in this, but I don't know that I'll feel that's a really a normal kind of situation, maybe until 2022 realistically, you know, cause I don't know that MLS knows when they're going to start the season next year. You know, there's been some talk who know, you know, how do you know when you're even going to begin? Usually, of course, we all know it's very early, March or late February when they kick off, generally speaking, all the way till, you know, November. But who knows? I mean, leagues are accommodating certain stuff. We know the NBA has obviously had to make a lot of changes that way. They're starting on December 22nd, which, you know, they've already would be underway essentially. So yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know that I feel like all that super confident that, oh, don't worry, 2021 kickoff, everything's back to normal. I don't think that's the case. So you know, leagues are doing the best they can. Certainly. I mean, realistically, you know, this, when you look at it from a business perspective, which again, is certainly not the most important thing by any means. Uh, this is, this is a lot of money being lost. I mean, there's just no two ways around it. And we see that in every sector. We see that from mom and pop stores, more importantly, you know, on the corner of your, whatever city you live in or whatever. So there are obviously big issues, but you know, these, these clubs, you know, whatever sport, they're owned by people and that is their business, you know, and, and certainly they have to look out for that, but they obviously, you know, it, you just can't force this kind of thing in a pandemic, Geo. you know, the more you force it, the worse it gets. So it's just going to have to play out. And I, again, I don't feel like 2021 is going to feel like 2019 did for me, or I, I suspect most people would be that way.
0: Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's better. Uh, any anything, yeah. anything, anything anything is better than uh you know twenty twenty. You know, and I think it will be. I do believe yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, you know, you I, in do, I do twenty twenty one. Yeah, I, I think twenty
1: twenty one is going to be a better year than twenty twenty for most people. You know, so I, I I am positive and and uh, you know an optimistic person in that sense. Absolutely, I think you're right. I think that's a great point. I think we just got to hope it's just a better year. Let's build on that yeah. and go from there.
0: No. So, I mean, some, some exciting news um, that came out uh, today, it was confirmed uh, yesterday by Kevin Baxter, Um, Angel City FC, they're going to play at the Bank of California stadium, Um, you know, NWSL is coming to to LA, you know, you got, you have a powerhouse of just like, you know, celebrity women, um, you know, from all just all trades, you know, actors, you know, singers, you name it, you know, the list and, you know, you know, you even got some uh, men there, but like them, The way they've done Angel City FC, I even love the name. Um, You know, they're breaking the news that they're, you know, officially going to play at the Bank of California. What are your thoughts on uh, having women's soccer in L.A. and also having it at the Bank of California? Oh, I think it's
1: absolutely necessary. I don't, you know, I understand that it took longer. And I know there was another team, the Soul, obviously, uh, a few years back uh, that, uh, you know, that uh, gave it a shot, too. I think they're in much better position with this team moving forward, you know, going forward to be a success. You know, I, I am a little concerned about some of the rumblings you hear, you know, the, the two fan bases, let's be honest, that's going to be tough. And, you know, and, and I think Angel City FC knows that in a sense, they want people to come together for that team. And they should, if you love football, uh, you know, and if you certainly, if you love women's football, you're, you, you, you likely will, you know, come together as a group, but, you know, that was always going to be a little tricky. There's no, no two ways about that. What stadium to pick. Uh, one team is going to feel like, you know, their fan base. Oh, well, you know, they're, they're playing in LAFC Stadium. But that's not really what it's about. It's about a team for everybody. And I love that. You know, I, I think it's completely overdue and necessary. And the women's game is growing everywhere. Uh, not just in America, thankfully, but all over. And certainly L.A., you know geo i've said it for years los angeles is one of the best soccer markets in the world i mean we're talking like top 10 soccer cities in the whole world you have to have you have to have a powerhouse women's football team here and i think that's what angel city is planning on doing you know it might take them a little time to you know you, you got to build you got to build sort of, you know street by street block by block i know that <laughs> that uh that it, you know that's what lafc did and i think You know, I think you can get it done for Angel City. And again, not till 2022. So they have time to continue to really put together a world-class organization that it appears that they are, uh, have already started that. And I think the venue is appropriate. I really do. And I'm not just saying that because obviously I work, you know, close with LAFC. I think it's a good fit. And And I think it's a great fit where it is centrally located, get, you know, maybe draw more people in for Angel City that way. I think it was the right choice.
0: Yeah, no, I mean that it's exciting um, to ha- finally have women's soccer again in LA, and I think it's also, yeah. I think what I'm most excited is the org- the people behind it. You know, we we've sure. seen uh, we've seen how LAFC has been able to build up with you know with obviously not, it's not just the money, but also having um, you know the people. We see at LAFC having an academy. There's a process, and what I'm really going to look forward uh, to from LA Angel City FC is how they have that system in place. Right. Cause I feel like right now in the United States and even, you know, in LA, I feel like women's soccer is kind of underserved. And if you have the right people, which it looks like on paper and you have, you know, able to produce a product where you just get young talent to this team, um, you know, essentially what we're starting to see from LAFC um, and really serve that, that woman's community, that much needed woman's community that is so passionate. And, and I know you know this, uh, how much they love soccer, but the, the media and all the attention and all that hasn't really been there. But I, I'm i seeing the big names, you know, some of the L.A. A-listers on there, but also seeing some former players, you know, women's and, you know, even Galaxy players are on this uh, on this team. And I just really hope that they really do produce are able to produce players from Southern California to get them to this team. And eventually this is the pathway to the U S women's national team and just different things like that. Just being able to build a team, a product and, you know, something that everybody can be proud of.
1: No, I think so. I think that's exactly right. And I think you will, I think you'll see a mixture. I think you certainly need the local connection to players. And there's plenty of that in Southern California, plenty of talent, In the women's game in Southern California. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Then you need that local connection. Then you need the U.S. women's national team connection. So certainly you would expect Angel City FC to look at that. They don't need my advice on this, but this is how I would kind of build it. You know, you go after a couple of big names with the U.S. women's national team, recognizable names that you can really market from the get go. You get the local talent. Certainly that's ready to play now, but also build the academy, you know, get to certainly get in on the ground floor as early as you can if, with as young a players as you can to start to build that up. And then you need to look in the, for foreign talent, you know, from other countries, because the women's game, as we said, is growing everywhere. And there's uh, certainly nothing wrong with bringing in names like back in my day, you know, Marta and think, you know, certainly that uh, everybody knew. Even if you weren't a huge fan of the women's game or even a fan of soccer, because the World Cup is so powerful, you know, it's, such a, it's such an amazing marketing tool for soccer, men and women's soccer, in not just the United States, but the world, that every four years you have that competition that you do need, if you're Angel City FC, I think, to you know keep an eye on that next World Cup. And uh, you know, be alert to who maybe that next player is that you need to go get. And now again, there's competition now coming from the you know England was getting a better league. It's still a ways to go yet, but they are certainly spending you know spending cash on that and spending money. Uh, you know, places like France and all over. You know, it, it, it's, it's growing, but that means more competition to also sign those players. So they definitely have the work cut out for them. But uh, you know, to me, what I like about it is. As you said ownership you're only as really good as a professional sports team as your ownership is i mean that's the bottom line mm-hmm. and to me they seem to be doing it right slowly take your time make sure you get things uh, uh, you know correct along the way and those building blocks you know if you have that you can withstand certain things you know like lafc is only in their third year this was not a great season for lafc Obviously with all the you know, COVID and everything else, we know that there are some reasons for that on some level, not just the football, but you already build a base of, Hey, we've been doing things right essentially since day one. And your fans know that, you know, and I think Angel City has to look at that and be like, we got to slowly build this and take our time and get these things right along the way. And that will help us with that base to make sure that they know that we are trying to win, whether it happens the very first day or not. Now, in LAFC's case, Geo, they were successful from literally the first kick as it happens in Seattle, which is where they're going on Tuesday. Exactly. But, so, you know, that doesn't hurt either. But I think if you build that base, the fans will know that. They know you're going in the right direction. That is crucial.
0: Yeah, no. Um, I mean, definitely hit on so many different things. Like that, and I feel like they have a, a great mirror to look at, obviously, LAFC and how they've done it. You know, and we know there's a lot of partnerships there, a lot of things going on. So I, I, I would. So, they do have a mirror down in the galaxy too I, I look
1: you know people know my history i am black and gold and i know the galaxy hate me now for it that's fine <laughs> but I, I i did used to be a galaxy season ticket holder back in the day i love football you know and, and i saw what they did and how you know angel city you know this is a this is a city of winning football Bottom line, I mean, the most successful franchise in MLS history is the Galaxy, certainly with championships. And now LAFC seems to be taking over that mantle and, you know, maybe ready to take that next step to start winning MLS Cups and start to really add to the the, the trophy room. I think Angel City has two franchises to look at and off the pitch, too, financially. Yeah. Editing, I mean, you, you know, there's plenty. There's a good there's a good, uh, I guess, uh, you know, Blueprint, if you will, for lack of a better cliche of how to build successful soccer organizations, football organizations in L.A.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say just uh, in terms of expansion team, they definitely have a good, uh, obviously, mirror to look off of L.A. but I I definitely believe that this is a team that can bring both clubs, both fan bases, I should say, together, um, you know, from both sides. I know there's a lot of rumblings now that, you know, that they're playing the bank, California Stadium. But it's an exciting time, especially you know for women's soccer in LA. And again, that's gonna they're gonna play the first. There should be playing in spring of 2022. So they got more than enough time, like he said, uh, to get this right. But let's uh, let's move it's on. Um,
1: this, is, this is iced tea. Just oh, to- sh-
0: oh, it's okay. It's okay. We know you're having whiskey oh at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. I don't okay. Tea you, I should, you should have told me. I would I would have brought mine too. This is not actually coffee, Dave. <laughs> I get,
1: uh, I'm no hero. I get my caffeine out of iced tea. I don't drink a lot of coffee, but you know, I'm Yeah, but
0: for those listening, Dave is, uh, is drinking from a, from a clear cup, clear glass cup looks like whiskey, but he says it it's a not.
1: little fancy. I gotta admit, I grabbed the I, wrong that one. is
0: a fancy cup for it just to be apple juice. Dave, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, moving on, obviously big match for LAFC, uh, going in this next Tuesday against Seattle, um, just kind of want to get into a timeline of things. Um, it looked like um, LAFC was going to be at without their their international players. Then rumblings came this earlier this week that MLS was looking to book charter flights for all the MLS international players that you know that were out abroad. And then you know, obviously, we found out Jose Sinfuentes, Diego Palacios, who are with their Ecuadorian national team, they catch COVID. And then you're like, okay, you know two two out of four wouldn't be bad and then you start to hear that Luis Suárez who plays for Uruguay he got covid and then my mind was like all right I, I, I hopefully Diego Rossi God, and you know Brian Rodriguez don't catch it come to find out Diego Rossi gets it uh um Brian Rodriguez has not got it has uh, has, t- has tested negative so three out of the four players Uh, have tested positive for COVID and then things were uh, rumblings were coming out if Brian Rodriguez would come alone Um, and the athletic just broke the news that uh, uh, that all the internet South American internationals won't be available uh, for the playoff spots and I just kind of I just kind of want to just read this just to kind of just clarify it Um, it says Rodriguez from Uruguay and Arriega Seattle's Xavier Rega and Mendes with Ecuador. None of these three players tested positive for COVID nineteen with their national teams. But the sources said that MLS MLS Players Association uh, medical experts did not feel confident enough that they were not in close contact with the indiv- individuals who tested positive to allow them back on the charter flights. Uh, which essentially, I guess, makes sense. So you don't want to get you know other players on your team, um, you know, to catch COVID or anything like that because. One that would just ruin all of the playoffs, right? If you know, if these players come back and you know, I don't, you know, they get they infect the other players or whatever, and essentially the playoffs would be off. So, I guess it makes sense on that on that aspect, but it it's unfortunate for LAFC because it seemed like okay, Diego Ross, you you were gonna get you were gonna get the full roster, you're gonna get the best players playing the MLS playoffs, um, and uh, MLS did everything they could. They did yeah. everything they could uh, to make this happen. They even, you know, talked with these medical experts to get their approval, and then hold. And you find out that these players catch COVID. So, like I said, it's twenty twenty. Um, what do you, what do you make of all this? Uh, you know, what's going on with the with these outbreaks and these situations with LAFC? Because essentially, they were already planning to play without these play these four international players.
1: Sure. Yeah. That's a good point too. Um, yeah, look here's, it comes down to this. The season would have been over almost two weeks ago or in a regular year. Right. And that's, I mean, I hate to keep going back to it, but we just have to accept that you just have to do the best you can as a league to put together as good a product as you can for your fans to watch. And in this case, mostly watch on television, uh, that's all you can do. And they tried, you know, the, 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 charter flights I thought were a great idea. Now that you look at it, I mean, there's been a lot of outbreaks with the European players, you know, like the people who go back and forth, the, the, European international games, these international games have, you know, been very tricky in terms of trying to stop the spread of COVID and that's around the world. So this is not a, an MLS problem by any means per, per se, or specific to MLS. So you try your best. You try to protect the players first and foremost. I think that's what they're doing by not allowing, frankly, uh, Ariaga and Rodriguez and, and Megson to actually uh, or Mendez rather to Jackson Minton to come back and play. I think it's a smart move, you know. Unfortunately for those guys, and I'm sure they're disappointed in that, but I'm sure they also know that it just doesn't make sense to uh, you know to to rush that. So again, you know, it's like I am just of the you know I mean make no bones about it. I love MLS. I love LAFC. I want to see the league, you know, be a hundred percent healthy and everything. That's, but I've said this for the MLS's back tournament. You have to try it. And you know, the playoffs are there. This is what they're, they're scheduled. Now, if it gets out of hand, then you have to, you know, that maybe, maybe things will have to be shut down, unfortunately. And we know that we know that going in though, you know, they're doing their best I I enjoy what's been, you know, the the, uh, league and how it's, you know, kind of on the pitch, how it's developed in 2020. Is it perfect? Of course not. But, you know, it's the best you can do. And I know people complain, people like to complain about a lot of stuff. We know this, you know, (laughs) but I really, I really have to tell people like to think about what you tweet sometimes, or just think about it for more than like five seconds. Like, Oh, I can't, this is so Bush league, MLM. How, how can they have MLS? You know, how can they do the playoffs and then one team might have to forfeit? Well, what else can you do? You're not going to send a team out there with 10 players who have COVID to play, right? That's not the right idea. So if you already have a tournament style playoffs set up, And you are going to commit to playing those. What are you supposed to do with a team who maybe catches COVID? We know it's not that hard. It seems like to catch. It's possible that these teams can pass it along. Unfortunately, we've seen it in the regular season with teams like Colorado, especially missing several games, not their fault. What are you going to, I mean, what do you do with a whole playoff structure? If one team happens to have, you know, too many cases, you may have to say, well, your season's done geo you know i mean i and that could happen to lafc and boy that will hurt and i will be upset but it, you know it's just life in 2020 it's nobody's fault
0: yeah and just yeah. Uh, just to just to, just to hit on that just uh so this is what came from uh jeff carlisle from espn uh, it said the MLS will try to reschedule any postponed game due to COVID nineteen. If a game can't be rescheduled, the team with the outbreak will have to forfeit. Will have to forfeit. If both teams are dealing with COVID outbreak, the team with the higher points per game average during the regular season would be the one to advance. Um And that's 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 what's the unfortunate part of it because the thing to that. um is you know, people wanna know why aren't they playing in a bubble to try to contain it, right? That that's gonna that's gonna if this if it comes down to the worst case scenario, both teams, which we don't want to happen because you're not gonna see any, sure. any competition, both teams catch COVID and the team, you know, with the highest point per game average or whatever, say say it happens in a Western conference or Eastern Conference final, that would be the worst scenario. You know what I'm saying? And I think sure. I think if, Obviously, the first round, you know, it would suck anyway to advance that. I think people, at least the problem of people, is like, why didn't the MLS try to implement maybe a bubble, which they did in, in Orlando? He you know, so.
1: guys. He's already sent guys away for a month, over a month from their homes, for the most part. Many of those teams were well over a month uh it's just hard to do that again during the holiday season, you know, to take people again away from their families. You know, people or like kind of like kind of
0: like, kinda like the, the, the MLB did. They I think they did they didn't do the first couple rounds of the playoffs maybe. I think they did like um the what the the last couple, you know, the semifinals or you know something like that. Yeah, I, I mean thought, that's a fair point. Yeah but I you know thought, this is kind
1: of happening fast enough, you know, with the, the way the MLS playoffs are and in fairness maybe it's an argument for a bubble if you hadn't already had one for you know six weeks or whatever. That they're not messing around with the schedule of the playoffs. It's not like you're getting a couple weeks off to prepare. (laughs) You know, like this is pretty, you know, we're going to go after this as fast as we can. So I'm sure they thought about a bubble, but maybe they decide, well, we can get this schedule in pretty quick. These guys are not going to have eight days off between games necessarily, you know, but uh, maybe we can get this in in a small enough amount of time. And let's remember if you lose, you go home. So there are going to be, you know, there's only going to be, as you say, only a few teams potentially mm-hmm. affected really late. That might've been another reason to maybe bring the final four teams in for, you know, what it might've been interesting. It, you know, if there had not been another bubble, almost if you bring the final four teams in and let them all play each other in like a group st- you know, like, and then yeah, do, get, get you know, super creative. Okay. Yeah. There
0: would be, there'd be some um, uh, arguments about that as well.
1: I mean, how cool would that have been? But you know, again, I'm not going to be the guy who wants to tell people you got to go away from your family for another month now during the holidays too. You know, this is again, a weird schedule. The season would have been done. MLS cup would have already happened nearly two weeks ago Were a regular year. And I think that's what everybody forgets about the international window. MLS had already made a lot of concessions on their scheduling for that window. For these reasons, we don't want people missing playoff games if we can help it even in a regular year. So yeah, I mean, Again, people are going to be upset. I don't blame them, you know. I will be upset unfortunately if that happens. But, you know, again, men and women who work for these teams, they can catch it. We don't know. How, I mean, mm-hmm. you can do everything right and still get it. Actually, I think we've seen that, you know, with mm-hmm. plenty of in plenty of cases. So, this is not any blame to go around. If it happens, it's very unfortunate. And I can't argue with someone Gio who says, "Well, the 2020 MLS Cup winner if this tournament kind of falls a little bit to pieces—not to, falls to pieces, but you know—if some teams do get affected by it, but that's kind of an asterisk next to the Emma. Okay, well,
0: so be it. I, mean, I, think, I think, yeah, I think after- if it goes along the lines of you know teams being forfeited or teams being. Yes that then it's gonna look about then I think also people are gonna you know say the, the bubble um I hope that doesn't happen but I think they are planning for the worst worst case scenario this is MLS's worst case scenario and I see what they're doing like trying to get this out in front like this is this is our scenario this is sure. what we thought of this is what potentially may happen um you know I yeah think, you don't want people finding out the day they watch the game on exactly. TV you know I mean? like, exactly
1: oh, by the way today uh if one of these teams, you know, like in an hour, we tell you that they, you know, they have to fort now, you have to get this stuff out as soon as possible. You're right.
0: Yeah. And I think so. also, um, I think, you know, I think the worst thing is obviously if they're not able to compete and, you know, it happens in the Western Conference final, Eastern Conference final. I think that that's going to be tough. But uh, again, MLS is in a time crunch right now. They, you know, they they need to finish this, you know, you, uh, LAFC, Atlanta United, they they all got um, CONCACAF, like, you know, in December. So they, there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on and also trades and all these different things. So I, I see what they're trying to do. And they're just trying to get through the rest of this year, a month and a half or whatever is left of this year smoothly. You know, to obviously start planning um, for next year, and I know a lot of people are like, well, "Why let these players go on international duty?" I think that was uh, looking back. I think that was the right thing to do because you don't want to close the door on your, your your international players, and you don't want to you don't want MLS to be closed off as a league for international players for some of the biggest countries in the world. You got you know Uruguay, Ecuador, you know Colombia. You know you have so many players from the MLS, and you want to have that relationship. You really, even if it hurts the MLS, I think long-term, I think if if you're the MLS, you're looking long-term, that you don't want to be that league that, that you get looked back on, like, hey, you didn't give us our international players when we needed them for World Cup qualifying. And I think that, I think, Looking back at that now, I give credit because it's not an easy thing to do for the MLS because, you know, you're, you're going to be without your, some of your biggest stars. Uh, but I think having that relationship and having that pathway where, where your players still have, um, you know, get that get that world world attention and it's essentially is bringing that attention to you as MLS. And you don't you don't want to close that door off. So I know people are like, you shouldn't let them go and play or whatever. But I think one. It, it's it's a it's an honor for the player it's an honor for the club but also as a league you also want to always have that door open for for the national college
1: absolutely 100 percent correct i look all deference to like europe and you know oceana yeah. and asia this is a conma ball conca league you know i mean that's just you know who is the backbone of mls it's players from South America and United States and Mexico and Costa Rica and Jamaica and all, you know, all the, the countries around here. And again, there's plenty of great players from Europe who've come here and, and will continue to, you have to make them available for national teams. I mean, you're hundred percent right. We can't become a league where people start to say, nah, I don't think I'm going there. You know, and that's the worst thing that could happen, you know, and because then you don't get Diego Rossi or Brian Rodriguez, even thinking about it. Uh, frankly, and again, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but that's you're absolutely right. That's just kind of like an almost a no brainer. Like, yeah, you have to let him go. You're not going to tell Diego Rossi, like, you know, Diego, you probably should stick around for a first round playoff game. Just in, you know, you might not play. Turns out he doesn't for Uruguay. So what? That doesn't. He's being seen by the coaching staff. Exactly. So bringing him. In. He's practicing with these guys. How does he fit in? You know, that's probably why they've been bringing him in knowing that he's likely not going to get any minutes, but they want to see about it. and that's just all part of the game to you know, quote unquote. That just is, you know, and and everybody knows that in the in world football. So you cannot start messing around with that kind of stuff. Yes, it does hurt MLS in the short, very short term, but in the long term, nothing but positives out of that.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree. I think, I think just looking at long term, it makes sense even If you're going to be able to start your stars here in 2020, I think this is definitely a year that, the you know, obviously MLS can, (laughs) you know, can look over, overlook that obviously moving forward because you're going to have that door open for Uruguay, Ecuador, you know, Colombia, all these players. You want to have that relationship with the national team and you want them looking at your players because essentially that adds value to your club long term. I know you just mentioned uh, Diego Rossi. he was he won uh, young player of the year award, incredible player. He scored fourteen goals. Obviously, you and I have been able to see him up close and you know seeing the damage and just the excitement that he's done. Um, also, won in Golden Boot. You know, back to back, first time you know LAFC, uh, first time in MLS. I believe that you know team the same team wins, uh, same teams and the players win back to back. It's exciting for for, for for LAFC. Obviously, they're not they're going to be without him. So uh, I guess my question to you is, who replaces uh, Diego Rossi? I know we saw we saw Christian Torres, you know, get the start last time. Uh, I know there's a couple other players on that wing side, but I think the depth is definitely going to be tested with this game. So who who do you think will step up on the on the other side? Well, no one
1: replaces him. That's kind of a, a dumb answer, but we know that that certainly mm-hmm. it's going to hurt LAFC to not have Diego Rossi in there. Uh, I like Christian Torres. I like the way he's fit in with just about everybody he's played. You know, he, he knows how to play. I don't care how old he is. If you're good enough, you're old enough. And he is good enough. So he certainly fits in with a lot of what they try to do. Uh, when you're looking at it, in all likelihood, though, you might move a Danny Musofsky out wide. If Bradley Wright Phillips goes in the middle or, you know, because really you're not going to put a BWP on a wing at this point. And yet Mussovsky kind of fits better in that middle part too, but you just may have to have him play out there. Of course, we know Carlos Vela will lock down that right wing and they'll interchange plenty like they always do during the actual 90 minutes. But yeah, I I feel like that's probably what you go with in a pressure situation in Seattle in a playoff game. Maybe Christian Torres is more appropriate than to come on the second half, fresh legs, you know, maybe some new ideas. I, I think that's the way Bob Bradley will go. I, I haven't talked to Bob about that. Uh, I don't think Bob knows yet. Probably <laughs> for sure if that's he the doesn't way want to gonna t- go, He's not going to tell us. We have we, we no, Exactly. Mention. It doesn't really matter if he knows because he's not going to tell us anyway. <laughs> so, but I suspect that's what we would see, something along those lines of Musovsky, Bradley, Red Phillips, uh, you know, Carlos Vela. Certainly, Christian Torres would be, um, you know, right at the top of the list of you know, people to come off the bench then maybe to provide that fresh legs kind of feel fifty-fifth, sixtieth minute if you need a goal.
0: Yeah, another another part I should have mentioned, I should have mentioned this from the game. We're recording this at 9 a.m. LAFC uh have a press call, I believe around 12, 1230 later today. So we'll find out more information on, you know, obviously give us an update of what's going on. I think another player that I do see him play up top and who has played up top um, I'm with you. I'm with you. At BWP and, and Danny Masovsky, I think the only issue with that is you you lack depth in that in that striker position. I, and I could see maybe either Danny start or BWP, but another player that I could see play up top on the wing is uh, Latif Blessing. Um, we know we've seen Latif Blessing play sure. right back. Obviously, he, he plays in the midfield, but I think. LAFC has so much depth right now in the midfield that 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 position is essentially co- covered. Whether you play Mark Anthony K, Janella, whatever, obviously you know Jose Sanfuentes is going to be up. So there's there's a lot of depth there. Depending where I think Latif Blessing goes, um, if he's not in the midfield, I definitely see him either potentially playing up up top there uh, with with Carlos Vela, BWP, or Danny Muszewska, whoever whoever starts there at the striker or at right back. What what are your thoughts on Latif playing up there up top?
1: I mean, it's a great idea, actually. Uh, I hadn't thought that much about it, only because I kind of feel like, I kind of was sensing that the LAFC is going to go back to the core midfield that are available, you know, Edward, Mark, anthony Kay, Latif, Blessing. And in some ways against Seattle, I don't hate that. I kind of like that, getting those guys back there to really try to control the tempo of this game because one of the strengths of Seattle that people don't talk about, yes, Nico Lodero is fabulous and he's everywhere, so there's not much you can really do about that in terms of, you know, worrying about him. You almost just have to defend him all over the pitch. It's Joao Paulo and Christian Roldan. Those mm-hmm. two for Seattle have been so dominant, destroying other people's offenses and getting Seattle into the attack. They're they're two-way players that are very underrated. Joao Paulo was an amazing signing from Brazil. I think he's been fantastic. So I think if you put Latif in the midfield with Mark Anthony and Edward, then maybe you can kind of overpower them to a certain degree in that part of the field. Now, again, you're not going to stop Seattle for 90 minutes with guys like Jordan Morris and Nico Lodero, but if you can keep the football for most of that time, <laughs> but I do, I, I am intrigued by Latif up front on the wing. Like you say, it just becomes kind of a, uh, you know, how, like, what's the strongest part of that? Like cause Janela certainly fits right into the midfield. Like you said, he got plenty of depth there uh he could do that and then you move Latif up and then maybe you then have Mussovsky coming in later for a goal possibility if you need it maybe you even start Mussovsky and let BWP come in for the goal later if you need that there's more options maybe that way that might be how it ends up I think the Latif up front is a very intriguing idea from you um but I do also believe there's plenty of positives about having that core three guys in the midfield we've seen time and time again dominate uh and you know Again, a lot of people will point to the defense and the, the people up front for LAFC. That's going to make the difference here. But it could just come down to mm-hmm. you know if Mark Anthony K. Latif and Edward have their best games of the year. Who beats them? Nobody. So you could also look at it that way. So there, it, it's definitely a puzzle here for for LAFC. Not just in the starting eleven, but really probably the you would have to say like thirteen or fourteen guys who are really going to play. Yeah. And be, Not that you can't have more, of course, but, you know, you're going to really have to have that 12, 13, 14 guys that are going to win this game for you.
0: Yeah. And that's I mean, that's why I threw that out there, because, you know, after Christian Torres, the depth up top, because you're obviously we know you're out with Rossi and Brian Rodriguez. Obviously, say someone comes in for Christian Torres, who's going to come in for him? Obviously, we don't know. We we haven't seen practice, but I think potentially you have Latif Blessing up top, then you can bring in Christian Torres. You know, obviously, I think that's just a thought right now. Um, I think I could see that. Um, you know, uh, unless you know, I don't think we'll, we. I think we now. I don't think we're going to see Latif in the back
1: line. That would really surprise yeah. me. You know. I yeah, yeah, that's of- that, that,
0: that, that, that's that's my next point on, on the back line. We haven't we haven't seen him, and then I'm just going. What we did see in the in their last matchup against Portland, we saw in the back line. Um, we saw Eddie Segura start right back, Chris Mourinho, Tristan Blackman, and then Jordan Harvey. Um, you know, I think the biggest question for this back line is who starts at right back, um, because I, obviously out of necessity, uh, Bob Bradley had to—I believe he had to start Eddie Segura because El Mournier was not available. Um, I think he was out, maybe because of COVID. I don't know. They had him on the injury list, but he wasn't able to play. Um, depending who plays on that right back, you know, you can start put put the pieces of the puzzle. So if it's El Mournier, if it's Eddie Segura. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on who is the strongest on that right back?
1: Oh boy. I think it's a different, I think it's two different answers. Strongest on the right back for a whole season. It's probably not for this
0: game. Let's put it for this, for this yeah, Seattle, thought, for this Seattle game,
1: for this game, just in terms of not even about just right back, but the, the way the right back fits in, I think you just go with what you had important. I do. I think Segura, He's very comfortable on the ball. We saw that, you you know, we've seen Bob push him up into the defensive midfield at times, you know, late in games when he brings in another defender and then pushes Eddie up a little further up the pitch to kind of control that area. And I do think in a lot of ways you're going to end up with more like three backs anyway, a lot of times, especially Seattle. Seattle doesn't mind if LAFC brings the football right at him, Right. So, you know, you're going to get into the attack plenty. A lot of that's going to come frankly, from the right back spot often, you know, like Eddie Segura will be up in the attack a lot, which I think they like. And then you'll have like the three backs. And then Jordan goes up, certainly on the left wing a lot. Then you'll have the three backs. And uh, it's more almost like that three, four, three kind of feel. Um, So I think you just go with who you had the back for, for Portland right now. Now, again, again, all things being equal, I don't know about health and where people are in terms of any kind of nagging injuries or, covid related we don't know a hundred percent yet so but for me i thought they played pretty well look they had the bad giveaway at the end against portland which changed everything as we saw them fall to seventh because they got the draw against portland with the late goal and the timbers did exactly what we did to them just the, the previous game against them but i thought the defense played pretty well against portland for the most part now i know kenneth vermeer made some big saves Hey, you got to have your keeper make a couple of big saves against good teams. I mean, teams are going to get chances. So to me, I didn't think the defense was really bad at all against Portland. Uh, so I would stay with that and then, you know, go from there with your changes or what you might need to kind of figure out how to break down Seattle, because the Sounders are a very tough team to break down, especially up there against the LAFC.
0: Yeah. and I, No, I, I like. that. I think for me, um, Seeing seeing Eddie Segura, he's only played that once. Obviously, I think this was the only time he's he's played it, maybe in all his career with so Elersia yeah, right back. Um, and I think that was again this game was out of necessity because they didn't have uh, El Munir there. You know, they, they didn't have so many players. I think it was six, seven different. And players that could just be what
1: happens. You yeah. could be right. I don't know. They could just go right back to El Munir there. Eddie goes into the left center back spot. Uh, I we we pretty much know Jesus Mario is locked down on that. On the, but you could also. And you also have the option of Tristan on the right back spot, mm. Munir on the left back, or Harvey. You know, like there yeah. are options. There, I, I, I think
0: I think Tristan has not has looked uh, has not looked good at right back, and I think sometimes he gets beat. I, I think his his position is more center back. Um, you know, you I may you he may plays,
1: uh, he plays an excellent right back when Carlos Vela is the right wing. <laughs>
0: you i think uh, well, <laughs> well no well, i'm saying when those two are when those two combined very well together well i think no, i think i you know I, that's that i think that's that's an interesting caveat i think regardless who if carlos Vela plays or not um i just i just think el monir has looked better on that right back el, I, I would put el monir or latif blessing on the right back just because of what i've seen from tristan he, he hasn't played that that right back um and bob rally um you know, but I'm, what I'm saying though
1: too is like when you have a Carlos Vela at the right wing, you're pinning back the defense more. You know Tristan has more freedom. He's a little more offensive, even when Carlos Vela is at the right. You know on the right wing because everybody's so cautious of Carlos Vela, rightfully so. But he I think this
0: it. this is Seattle though. Seattle, Seattle. You don't. I don't think you have. You have that much. Um, what to say? That room to potentially. Come back, Seattle's. They have so much speed, and yeah. they're, they're such a. But here's how team. you have to beat Seattle: you have to move the ball quickly away from the
1: sidelines. It has to move fast, and the way to do that is guys like Tristan or Eddie, whoever plays it, or Muhammad Munir perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Muhammad's a great offensive weapon too. They have to give that ball to Carlos and get moving to make sure he has opportunities to get it back to them quickly, because Seattle will lull you to sleep on the sides. And then bring three guys at you before you even quick. know what happens. And so then, quick, the ball is gone, and it's so—it's it just so obvious what they're trying to do with LAFC. They try to keep it out of the middle, keep as much space. You know, they use that sideline as another defender or whatever. You know, uh, wherever on the pitch, really it doesn't even matter how deep you go. And then all of a sudden, there's three guys in green jerseys around the ball, and that's hard to break down for anybody. Little, you know, I mean, probably. Villa can do it, but it's not like you're going to do that every time. You don't want to try to do it. So they need that right wing and the left back, too. They're going to be very active in this match yeah. because you have to stay off those sidelines and just kind of Seattle just kind of put you to sleep and 15 minutes go by and you haven't done anything with the football against the Sounders. And that's not against LAFC, that's against everybody they play. Oh, I mean, it's barely
0: I think, giving I think- up
1: a whole game, you know. So they don't mess around when it comes to defensively. Quite frankly, the team that's beaten them you know, offensively the worst this year at times is LAFC, the best offense in MLS. They, You know, we we think about those games up in Seattle, at least I did. I focused a lot on those that, oh boy, tough defeats, you know, 3-1, 3-0, didn't look good. Frankly, two of the worst games LAFC played all year. And yet in the other two, one of them was of course in Orlando on a neutral site, a 4-1 thrashing. And the other one was LAFC, a 3-1 win at the bank. You know, they gave seven goals LAFC scored in two games. Seattle's only given up like 24, 23 goals all year. (laughs) And in two games, they gave up seven to LAFC. So you, you know, LAFC certainly knows how to break down Seattle, but the Sounders are, they're not going to change the way they play.
0: No, and I think it's going to be a very lops. I mean, it, it, these games have been very lopsided. I think this is going to be a little bit more of a chess match. Yeah, but I do. I, I do. Think, I think. I think. Um, just to finish up on the on the defensive end, I think that, that we also, I should also mention that Jesus Mourinho got injured at halftime. I believe he left at halftime. So depending what his situation is, because um, you if Jesus Mourinho is not available, you can see Tristan Blackman and Eddie Segura right there at the center back, and you know, but we Eddie. hope. Decision, man, yeah, 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 it gets it gets. Hopefully, that's not the case because you definitely need that that big physical body there. Um, and I think uh, Seattle's such a mature team. And like you mentioned, they've always uh, going back to last year because uh, I don't believe uh, Carlos Vela has played them at all this year. Even at the even an MLS back uh, tournament. Correct me if I'm wrong, but from last year, in last year's playoffs, they made it very difficult on Carlos Villa and they. They were fi- they were physical on Carlos Vela. I I don't want to say on purpose because they didn't necessarily injure, but they made sure to hit him. If my mem- from what I recall, they made him th- uh, not to the point that he was he got injured, but they they to let them know that he's there. And at, at Seattle Alka had a couple of the dirty tackles. I mean, it was borderline tackles. On exactly. Sure. You know, you, but you get you get what my point is, though, right? Yeah. That's what Seattle's gonna do to Carlos Vela, and I think and without Rossi and you know. Brian Rodriguez and Jose C. Fuentes, you know, and I think to me is like, if that's Seattle's game plan, right, whenever Carlos Vela gets the ball in the center, center of the field or out wing, wherever, wherever Carlos Vela may be, if they get physical with Vela again, you know, what's the game plan, you know, like, can you game plan for that? Obviously, now you don't know if they're going to physically come after Carlos Vela. I'm not saying they're going to put out a hit, but that's if history repeats itself, that's how you put Carlos Vela off his game. You physically, you, and they're also at Seattle's at home. I'm not saying they're going to have home field advantage because there's no fans, but you know, they're also playing a turf. And I wonder if that's the game plan, part of Seattle's game plan, because we know they're going to wait. They're mature. They know, they know, but right. I feel like if they try to put Carlos Vela's game, uh, put him out of the game. And like how you said, how they make it so for so difficult. They're on the, on the defensive end and and they don't mind waiting um, you know, what, what is the game plan for, 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 for LAFC if they do start to get physical, with Carlos Vela? Uh,
1: it, that's a great, a great question. I would think you, first of all, you're going to keep as many of his teammates close to him, meaning like so you can keep the ball moving, keep it off his feet sometimes. You know, not all the time. Certainly you want Carlos on the ball an awful lot, you know, surveying the situation. But another thing might be to get him more in the middle give them more space, you know? And uh, again, you don't mind if the game gets a little bit stretched out, certainly in the, in the Seattle half of the field, uh, stretch it out a little bit where you don't allow them to kind of bunch up defensively and get after you. And you know what, if they're taking down Vela when it's one V one, those are usually in great spots. So maybe Carlos will have to take a couple of shots and get fouls drawn. And hopefully the referee, you know, doesn't allow it to get too crazy physical, which is another factor. Um, But if you can even draw some free kick, you know, LAFC has been very good on uh, set pieces this year offensively. Um, And, you know, that that could be a way to get going. They scored the first goal against Seattle that last year in the game that way with Edwards great free kick was because of a foul drawn deep in Seattle's half. So, yeah, I think you got to keep him off the sideline to where maybe they almost have to foul him. If they're going to do it, then it's in a better position. It's in the middle of the field. It's in the attacking third you never know about drawing penalties you don't know how that ever is going to play out in a a match but if anybody can it's certainly Carlos Vela and LAFC have not drawn a lot of penalties this year without Carlos Mm -hmm. in the lineup we saw it towards the end of last season people were talking about oh Carlos Vela is kicking you know he's getting a lot of penalty kick goals at the end of the year well he drew the penalties he was beating people in (laughs) the box and if they didn't follow him he was probably going to score anyway you know so I think that's kind of a uh, something we've missed a little bit without Carlos in there too is that those dangerous opportunities into the area and getting teams, you know, maybe drawing a penalty or two. So I think, yeah, you just have to keep him, keep him moving with teammates around him and keep him maybe even a little more central if they decide to go physical, uh, which could help. Now, again, you mentioned Ariaga will be out. We'll see how they change up there. It might be, you know, obviously Yamor Gomez has been great for them in the middle. He'll be there. You would imagine if he's healthy, but that's another thing to kind of keep an eye on is what Seattle does in the middle there uh, going forward now without Ariaga involved in this match. Arriaga is kind of a, to me, I want him in there. Unfortunately, he's not going to be now. he's had a pretty good year, but he's also kind of a yellow or red card waiting to happen at times. He's mm-hmm. a little bit uh, kind of, um, I guess, somewhat reckless with the football sometimes back there. I think Gomez is more steady. The Colombian uh, has been really good. So unfortunately, he won't be in this match for Seattle. I think it was a, he was a player you could attack, although he's played well this year. So we'll see how they adapt to that as well against this LAFC offense. Yeah, and I think um,
0: yeah, it's, it's it's definitely gonna be a chess match. I don't I don't think it'll be um, I don't think it'll be uh, another blowout game. Um, you know, at least I don't I don't expect it to be. I mean, it definitely could be. Well, be, but I think. It's definitely going to be more of a chess match. Uh, I I feel like Bob Bradley has an idea who's he, who's he, he's going to go with, whether he's going to tell us today or not. Um, I think he really does have an idea. I think. Uh, I think another position. I know it may be up in the air. I don't believe so. Uh, goalkeeper. Um, who who do you like a goalkeeper? Do you do you stay with Kenneth Vermeer, who's played these last few games, or do you go with Pablo Cisniega, who hasn't played, and I think it will be like close to a month uh, coming this playoff game.
1: If I'm Bob and I have to make the decision, which I do for Tuesday, I go with Kenneth Vermeer um, just because I think he played pretty well. He's like, you know, these last couple. you know, he made forget pretty well. He made great saves, mm-hmm. frankly, allowed LAFC to, you know, have that lead deep into that game against Portland. Uh, the one nil that they just couldn't get the second or third and fourth goal. And then of course I know they gave up the late one. Wasn't his fault. So I would go with Kenneth Vermeer. Uh, Again, if you go with Pablo, I have no problem with that, though. Uh, I think he's had a good year. I think the injury kind of, there's some concerns that, well, even if he is or says he's 100 percent, you don't know, you know, like he hasn't played in a little bit. Uh, You don't know how that injury reacts. He took a wicked shot. So uh, I think, you know, in fairness, I think Vermeer, you know, right now, I guess, is just maybe – the slightly safer choice. I'm a poker player. It's like 55-45, <laughs> you know, point flip. you know, tens versus ace king, but I yeah. think you got to take 55% and take your chances, you know. And again, I, I, li- I like either one of them in that if, you know, if that's what Bob decides to do, I'm not going to say it's, you know, certainly like, oh, I can't believe it. Yeah. Pablo has earned that too if he does get the start, but I would go with Vermeer right now.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Pablo has definitely earned it uh, for – for the most part, up until he picked up this injury, I think it was against LA Galaxy. Um, I believe it's a it's a hip. It was a hip injury. Um, yeah. You know, and and, you know, again,
1: he could be a hundred percent. Then it's a tough decision, no yeah. question. But if he's not absolutely a hundred percent, then you just got to go in Vermeer. Yeah, uh, as long as Kenneth is okay, he took a pretty <laughs>
0: heavy shot too. Up to the head. Yeah, he took the 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 eye protocol or the concussion protocol was pretty funny when they uh, when they okay. showed it on TV and yeah. stuff.
1: That took a while, and I don't blame him. But boy, you don't run into Diro Aspria, man. <laughs> he is a tank. So, uh, kudos to Kenneth for even getting up there. I mean, that was a that was a wicked shot. And again, you know, he seemed to be okay even that night. You know, made some big saves after that before giving up the goal late. So, I again, I would go with Vermeer. But um, you know, I have no problem with either one of them. Now, you know, before we, a lot of people thought, oh boy, goalkeeper, we don't have, we don't even have one.
0: Yeah, now that's the opposite. Now it's like, who do you go for? Because both sides yeah, look good.
1: Confident with either one. And that's a great thing. You know, they say that it's, it's an old cliche in the NFL, Gio. I know you're a big sports guy. You know this. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, really. <laughs> true. So, you're, you yeah, know. true. But we yeah. have two now, like uh, where you're just, I'm perfectly comfortable whoever's playing goalkeeper for LAFC. Again, you still got to go out and do it. And I'm not sitting here telling you that, this is Brad Friedel necessarily. Like, I mean, I understand that, you know, like guys are going to give up goals and everything. And then, you know, they might make mistakes. Maybe that, you know, that's fine. And they have both made mistakes, but they've also both made pretty wicked saves for this team and have played some pretty great games going down the stretch. I think the defense has really shored up in the last, you know, not even third, maybe the last quarter of the season. Again, you're going to give up goals. I've always said this about MLS you got to make teams score world-class goals against you. Just don't give up the cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, too often earlier in the year, they were, you know, they'd give up some cheap goals. Teams would have two shots on goal and have two goals. <laughs> and it seemed like that was happening way too often. Now the keepers are more comfortable with their back lines. The, their communication seems to be better and better and better between both these guys with their defenders. Jesus Maria is a fine player. That certainly helps. And now they're making big saves too. So, you know, uh, the old adage of just riding a hot goalkeeper, it's not quite the same as like hockey, but you need a keeper to make a couple of big saves against good teams. And that's what all these playoff teams are. You know, you're not going to get away with shutting teams down with one shot on goal for 90 minutes, not the way LAFC wants to play offense. So the, the style of play LAFC plays, your keeper is going to be responsible for making two or three or four big saves a game. And right now I'm comfortable with either one of them doing.
0: Yeah. And just to add a little bit more to that, it's going to be 16 days and LAFC played their last 90 minute game. So even on that momentum, it
1: was a Tuesday game.
0: Exactly. That, that was that was just like why not make it this Sunday or this, this I don't know this weekend. I thought,
1: yeah, I, I thought for sure they'd be playing on Saturday or Sunday this first week.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a there's what I was gonna say. Whatever the momentum Ramirez may have had, you know, it's been two weeks. So regardless know. if you're you know even Carlos Vela, you know, you need you need that game time to stay, uh, to stay in not just in shape but just stay ready and you know. Uh, all that you know so moving forward for LAFC I'm excited for this match I mean this is I mean uh, the first round, round, first round matchup that everybody of MLS is going to want to watch and you yeah. know I do feel that, you know, LAFC um, can't, you know, they're, they're, they're being called their underdog. I think even they put that like an underdog, they tweeted like uh underdog mentality type of thing. I forgot what it was, but that, that seems to be the, the thing with LAFC. So let me ask you what, what's, what's the, what's the final score? Um, how do they, how do they beat Seattle? Um, you know, and how, how did, how do they get this done on Tuesday?
1: Uh, they get it done by uh, doing what they did in both Orlando and uh, at the bank, which is actually, and it, it sounds crazy. It's just taking it to Seattle all over the field. And I mean, the Sounders are very comfortable giving you the football. That's not the point because then they'll just come attack the football and take it off of you and then try to hit you on the counter. They have, again, Nico Lodero shows up everywhere on the pitch. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of some of the heat maps and all that, but his heat map must be, I mean, it's everywhere. He, he, can show up and get the football everywhere. So you got to take him out of the match. you got to keep that ball moving and keep him way too far away from that football too often. You cannot turn the ball over where anywhere he where he's around, where he can get it within one touch or one pass, because then you're in a lot of trouble going the other way. So that's one thing. The second thing is you are going to need a great defensive performance. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be on your back heels much, because quite frankly, again, you're going to have a lot of the football, but it's shutting down... Those little you know, advances by Jordan Morris, where if you miss one tackle, all of a sudden he's 1v1, you have to play a great game defensively on things around midfield, and that's where the defense will really start against Seattle, because you're going to have a lot of the football in your offensive half, and then thirdly, you have to finish, and you're not going to get 15 clear-cut chances against the Sounders. There's no way. This is not Vancouver you know, that just wants to play a run and gun and let you go ahead and we're going to try, you know, try to outscore you. The Sounders are perfectly comfortable winning one nil and giving you one shot on goal for 90 minutes if they have to. You have to put your chances away. And I don't mean half chances. I mean, if you get a clear cut opportunity, it has got to be in the back of the net. And you can beat Stephen Fry. He's a fine keeper, certainly a good player. He'll make some big saves. But it's not as though, again, LAFC scored seven goals in their two wins against Seattle this year. And uh, people are almost kind of forgetting those games, really, in a weird way. And yet they dominated those two against Seattle. It's just that the Sounders utterly dominated the other two. Man. I think you're right. We throw those away. This is going to be a tight game, and you have to put those chances away. I really think LAFC is the better team. You know, and I know a lot of people don't agree with me. They think I'm a
0: homer or whatever. Well, they're they're not they're not your natural or your normal seven seed. You know, they should they should they should should be up there top. They should definitely be up in the top four. The
1: Sounders were just as mad as LAFC were that they gave up (laughs) that game. I'm pretty
0: sure they were. I
1: mean, it doesn't bode well for them. But here, here's the bottom line too. LAFC, and they know this. I'm not telling I'm not telling you anything that Bob is. But for my perspective, and even as fans, this is one of four. We're not looking ahead past this game because there's no way you can when you're going to be on the road against Seattle. But this is just one game. Like, you know, I honestly, we see that too often in sports. I mean, look, the Galaxy, big win against the Galaxy in the playoffs. What does Seattle do to you the next game? You know, mm-hmm. they just take you out of your rhythm. Even though you had the 1-0 lead, the Sounders never panic, which they don't do not doesn't matter if we get up 1-0 they're not going to panic but you know it's just one game on a on a trip to trying to win four straight you only can do that one at a time i get that but this is the first step and they got to just take care of that business then and, and either team can win this game there's no no nobody knows who's really going to win this game and even the two teams don't Gee, but you is...
0: but give us give us give us a prediction LA, lafc prediction
1: i really do i think it's going to be 2-1 lafc and in this case i think you might see one of those amazing finishes with the late goal. Cause I think it could be that one, one kind of really tough. Somebody gets a goal in the first half, other team gets an early second half goal. And all of a sudden the momentum is just going back and forth kind of settles down maybe for a lot of the second half in terms of like, nobody can crack that. And all of a sudden you're worried about, you know, stoppage, to, you know, extra time and all. Somebody's going to get that late goal for LAFC. And uh, I think two, one is probably the most realistic of what I could see for this match.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I definitely see it see it being that close to one. And I, I just to add to that, I think it's going to come. It's going to come down to the second half adjustments. whoever goes up first, you know, may come down to the last twenty minutes. <clears throat> you know, the real game, the game within the game, may come down within the last 10, 20 minutes of the game. And you know, I think that that's what you're. You know, it could also be a big save, you know, by Stefan Fryer, you know it's Kenneth Career to get to get to also give them credit. You know, so. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm ex, I'm excited for this match, uh, you know, and I'm definitely looking forward to see you know what Elvis can do against a tough, tough, tough Seattle team. Um, but yeah, Dave, that is all the time we have. I uh, appreciate you being on. Is there anything else you want to say before before we let you get out of here?
1: No, I'm just ready. Uh, you know, we'll obviously we'll have the game on Tuesday night, seven ten ESPN, the ESPN app. Uh, I am so looking forward to calling it. I love the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I try to bring the passion every game, but, uh, you know, the playoffs are just that next level. So I'm ready.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you, where, where do you call the game? Are you calling the games from out here? Or do they follow you out there?
1: Uh, no, I do uh, from, from a studio. Um, so we don't go, we don't travel in this day and age. I'm never, I haven't been to a game since... March, you know, when we were back mm-hmm. before all the COVID hit, you know, all the the, the first stop. So uh, I do them from studio. So yeah, I'm uh, I am not at the bank in this time because they're so limited on how many. Well, you know, there's so limited on how many people they can bring in that I can do the games from elsewhere. So they just, just said, okay, we'll use. You know, you're. You know, we have uh, like people on for the radio that are there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know, making sure the audio and everything get the crowd crowd noise. That was a dumb thing to say, but we get the noise of of, of the bank and all that, but I am not there. So, uh, and uh, most broadcasters aren't this year, not all of course, but most are not.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely always fun hearing you call, call the games or even call the goals. I think that's the most exciting thing, you know, hearing you call those goals. So hope, looking forward to a, You calling a few LAFC goals uh, this next Tuesday uh, for the people that don't already follow you. What, where can they follow you at?
1: Uh, yeah. On Twitter at talk soccer, it's pretty easy to figure out there I guess. And then uh, Instagram is just my name, Dave, and but the underscore in the middle, Dave underscore Denholm. And that's where you can find me on Instagram as well
0: yeah thank thank you dave um yeah if you guys if you guys enjoyed this podcast make sure to give this a five-star rating you guys can follow me at geo garcia la on twitter and make sure to follow la soccer hub on all social media and like i said you can listen to this podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you get your music you can definitely listen to this so dave this is Gio. thanks everybody